Welcome to Deep Impact Investing with Kimberly Griego-Kyle from Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. In this podcast, we talk about sustainable investing and how your portfolio reflects your values. Your investments seek accountability from corporations that govern more and more of our society and even the lives we lead. Listen in as we explore the question, are you investing like you give a damn? Hello and welcome to Deep Impact Investing with Kimberly Griego-Kyle from Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. Today's podcast is titled, Demystifying the World of Investing, the Questions You Were Afraid to Ask. Good morning, Kim. How are you? I'm great, Eric. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I've got a lot of questions I'm afraid to ask. Um, Well, you're not alone. (laughs) Not all of them are around investing your money, but uh, I think we'll stick to that today, right? Yeah, let's let's focus on that. Let's focus on investing. Um, You know, it's interesting because I I think there's a lot of times folks come into my office and they they kind of give me this blank stare when we we talk about some of these things, and and I know they're afraid to say to me, "Tell me exactly what a mutual fund is or Mm -hmm. a bond," and so I really want to talk about some of these basics so that folks can listen to this podcast and have some basic knowledge of what their investments really are. So we're going to talk about those basics today. That sounds good. Where are we starting? Well, let's start with what is a stock? Some people know, lots of people know, but some people really don't. So so let's talk about that. What is a stock? Um, down to the basics of what is a stock. And so um, when you own an actual share of a stock, you own a share of that company. Mm -hmm. And it has some benefits, but it also has some responsibilities. And I don't think people realize that, that you actually have some responsibilities when you own a stock. Now, unless you're a majority shareholder of that company, you don't really get to make any day-to-day decisions on that, you know, company. So yeah, I'm not in that situation, yeah. Kim. Yeah, yeah. Most yeah. most of us are not. But you know, you don't get to go into that. You know, it's not like you get to walk into Starbucks and tell them what to do um, if you own shares of that company. But um, you know, and you don't get to say, "Hey, I want a discount on my cup of coffee." Um, so you don't get to do that kind of thing. Yeah, but, wouldn't that be nice? I mean, that way yeah, you, you wouldn't have to would... take out a mortgage to buy a cup of coffee. Right. That'd be great. Exactly. Um, but you do get some benefits. So. Mm-hmm. What kind of benefits do you get? Um, you may, depending on the kind of company it is, you may get some dividends paid mm-hmm, to you mm-hmm. if you own that company. So the company, um, if they're, hopefully they're making money. So if they're making money, they may pay dividends out of their profits to you as a shareholder. Not all companies do this, but a lot of companies are dividend paying companies. So you know, it may be a few cents per share. It may be quite a bit per share, but that is a benefit to owning shares of some stocks. Okay. So let's stop there for just a moment and and talk about a dividend. Yeah. So if they give you a dividend, it doesn't take anything away from your stock, does it? It doesn't. It doesn't take anything away from your stock because it's coming from the profits that the company is making. So that's not changing the price of the company necessarily, but it is it's coming from profits. So, so they're making money and rather than necessarily reinvesting it into the company, which they may do also, but what they're doing is they're saying we have extra money, which mm-hmm. is good for the company. So they're taking a portion of that money and they're paying it out in dividends. So these are dividend paying stocks. 
And, you know, these are your big, big companies. Um, and that's what they're doing. They're, they're paying dividends to shareholders. So a lot of times people intentionally own dividend paying stocks to get income mm-hmm. from them. So, yeah. Okay. Great. Great idea, right? So, so you're getting income from your stocks. Now, responsibilities. What are your responsibilities? We kind of talked about this uh, a couple months ago. We did, yeah. Uh, um, you will get, if you own individual stocks, proxies in the mail. And as a shareholder, it is really your responsibility to vote those proxies. So again, we did an entire podcast about why it's important to vote those proxies. And, you know, since we are a sustainable investment company, um, we talked about why it's important to look at the sustainability of those companies and the impact of those companies and why you should look at what those proxy votes are and pay attention to them and vote them in a sustainable way. And so as a shareholder, it's your responsibility if you're not voting those proxies to know how they're being voted on your behalf or to vote them and pay attention to the sustainability aspects of those companies. So, so you are, you will really have a responsibility to pay attention to them. Yeah. I mean, you own part of the company. You do. Yeah, you absolutely, absolutely do. Yeah. So, so it's, it's really important, you know, to, to know this too about um, buying stocks. So when you're buying or selling stocks, unless it's that initial public offering, the money is being exchanged between people like you and I, individuals or institutions it doesn't go to the corporation unless it's that initial public offering, the very first offering of that stock. So um, it goes back and forth to, to individuals. So they can't so issue more stock? They can. Oh, okay. They can, they can issue more stock or they, for example, if they initially say they're going to issue a million shares, that's a big number, but I'm just picking a number yeah. out, of the, out of the air, um, but they only sell half of that initially, they can hold on to that other half a million shares. And then at a later date, sell those shares. So the corporation itself Mm. might hold on to half of those shares. And then at a later date, sell portions of them. Or they, at a later date, may buy back some of those shares. Many corporations do that. So what they want to do is they want to get more control of the company or the primary shareholder. If you think about a company like Amazon, Jeff Bezos owns a lot of shares of that company. So he has primary control. Mm -hmm. So maybe he wants to own more shares. So he might start buying up more shares. Now, if a majority shareholder, someone like Jeff Bezos says, I'm going to sell some of my shares, he or buy some shares, he has to actually make that information public. He has to tell the SEC that he's going to do that. That makes sense. Yeah. So he can't just buy or sell his shares. He actually has to tell someone he's going to do that. All right. That's very interesting. So corporations can buy and sell shares, um, but they have to make that information public. Um, So it's very interesting. But the majority of the time, buying and selling stock doesn't really go back and forth between the company. That money doesn't go to them. It goes between individuals and institutions. When I say institutions, I mean... um, like the state of California's pension plan or the state of New York's pension plan. Those are institutions that buy and sell um, stocks on mm. behalf of their, their, their pensionees. So 
those are institutions that buy and sell stocks. Um, do you have any other questions about what a stock is? That well, yeah, one, one more thing. I, I know a lot yeah. of people have probably heard of it, but what, what is it when a stock splits? Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, stocks go way up in share price. That's the idea, right? That it That's grows the hope. in share yeah, price. I'm, I'm hoping. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So most stocks, but not all, um, will will rise in share price. And then what happens is individual investors like you and I think, you know, like Google. Google's a really good example. So Google rises in share price and it gets way over five hundred dollars, and people go, I can't afford to buy a exactly, share of Google. Yeah. And so a lot of stocks, in fact, most stocks will split. So the corporation, the company will say, we're going to split that share price so that it's a little more reasonable. So most people will buy it. Mm -hmm. So instead of being one share at $500, it'll be two shares at $250. So, you know, you think, oh, is that going to dilute the shares? It really doesn't mm -hmm. um, because the share price is still equal in value. There are more shares spread around. Yeah. Um, however, it's still equal in value. Now, companies like Google don't like to do that. Um, we don't really know why. Yeah. I think, I think they kind of like to see the big number. Um, but, you know, stock, a stock will split. It's still equal in value. It's just two shares at $250 instead of one share at $500. Well, when I was um, much younger, I remember Microsoft splitting multiple yep. times. Yes. And my take on it, or what I understood when I was much younger, was that that's kind of a sign of a company doing well. And that doesn't yes. mean it is every time. However, if a stock is rising enough to where they're going to split it, I would think that that'd be a pretty good sign that they're doing well enough to have to have to, or have to do that. Uh, yes. But is the value has continued to rise. And that's what we want to see. If, you know, if a corporation's stock value is rising, it's because it's in demand yeah. and it's only in demand if, and, and rising if the company is doing well, if it's not doing well, then obviously the value is dropping mm -hmm. and people don't want it. If the value is dropping and people don't want it, it's because the company's not doing well. Yeah. So, you know, and it's not doing, you know, people don't want it because the, um, you know, the, the company, the people don't want the product. Um, it's mm -hmm. not making money. I mean, there's, you know, lots and lots of reasons why it's not doing well. So people are selling it. Yeah. Um, they're selling the stock. So the value drops. And so absolutely. Yes. The, the right. value is rising and it's, and the company is doing well. So yes, those are all reasons why. All right. What's the next one we're covering? So, so the next one, um, you know, we, we always think about two major things in investing, um, stocks and bonds. So what is a bond? A bond is simply a loan to either a corporation or a municipality or government agency. Municipalities are also government agencies, right? So, mm -hmm. so we can have um, literally the U.S. government or small municipalities like your your local water corporation or your I've library schools, right? schools or do a that? school bond. Absolutely, yeah. So, or corporations. So, bond interest rates are generally fixed, and and they are paid to you as the investor over the period of time that bonds are issued. So corporate bonds mainly are 30-year bonds. You don't usually see corporate bonds lower than that. Um, municipal or government bonds can be shorter periods of time. Um, but generally, we think of bonds as like a 30-year fixed rate bond. Um, now, what bonds get a little more complicated as we start talking about them. 
Um, but generally you buy a bond and you think, okay, if I hold it till it is completed, I'm going to get this fixed interest rate until the end. Absolutely. If you buy it, a $10,000 bond and you hold it till the end, you're going to get, say you buy it at a 4% interest rate, you're going to get 4% annually every year until that bond matures. Then you get your $10,000 back and you get 4% every year. Basically how a bond works. So you, you get bond. the 4% is comes back to you. It doesn't like go into an account it, to, to it, grow. Nope. It, it, you get 4% every year. It gets paid it. to you it's paid every to year. You. All right. Yep. Now, Here's the complicated about thing about bonds. Very few people hold a bond for 30 years. Well, it that was really, my next question because I'm thinking, yep. man, that's a long time. It's a very long time. And very few people hold bonds for, for 30 years. So bonds actually fluctuate in price. Um, and they fluctuate in price based on a lot of factors because, you know, again, people don't hold them for 30 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're on the open market. People buy and sell them all the time. So they and 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 the interest rate that's paid is also based on the credit rating of the issuer. So you know it's just because interest rates are X percent doesn't mean that's what the corporation or the municipality or whatever is going to pay. It's really based on the credit rating. So fluctuating bonds, um, you know, are going to be based on again lots of factors. So. It can be based on the credit rating of the issuer. It'll be based on current interest rates. It can be based on supply and demand for certain types of bonds. There's a lot of factors that go into that. So you might be looking at a bond that's available to buy. And the price of that current bond will be based on all of these factors. How close it is to maturity. What current interest rates are and the rate of that current bond. And there are so many factors that go into the current price of a bond. That bond that was initially priced at $10,000 is not going to be $10,000 on the open market when you're looking at buying it. So bonds are very complicated Mm. little things and, and people get very confused by them. So it's, it, it, it is, it, bonds are very interesting. So for example, if you're looking at a bond that was issued for $10,000 and it was issued at a 4% interest rate, but current interest rates for new bonds are four and a half percent. Nobody wants your bond that's paying 4% because mm-hmm. they can get a new one at four and a half percent. So you have to drop the price of your $10,000 bond so that they can get something when it gets when it comes to maturity. They want a deal. That, yep, they want they want it to be equal when it matures at ten thousand dollars, so that they will get the same interest eventually as the four and a half percent bond. So that the growth. Uh, so so say they they'll buy that bond at nine thousand six hundred dollars, so that that extra four hundred dollars they get will eventually equal the same amount of interest that they would get on that new 4.5% bond. Gotcha. Does so that the, make the, sense? Yeah, yeah, so the half percent that they're missing mm-hmm. yep. uh, for the duration of how many years, they kind of makes it, it's a trade-off, a wash, if you will. Exactly, yeah. So they're going to get a little growth because they're buying at a discount to equal the 4.5%. 
So but, let, let me, you know, oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, also if the credit rating of the corporation drops, then the value of that bond also drops because you're oh, taking really? a bigger risk. So yes. you, you buy it at one price, but if the corporation's credit rating drops, then that you, you basically lose money. You can. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Not, if you're still holding that bond. No bueno. Yeah. That's not good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All so right. there's all of these factors that go into mm. pricing bonds and they can get very, very complicated. Yeah. And you had a question? Well, I, I'm thinking about, so the interest rate is 4%, but is it really a good idea to own a bond if you know, you're getting paid 4%? But in my mind, I thought cost of living kind of goes up 3% every year, roughly. That. Well, long-term inflation, when we've looked at the past, has averaged about 3%. But in the last decade, it's been closer to about 2 Okay. So, yeah. So when we, when we look at current interest rates, um, bond interest rates have been around three and a half percent over the last mm, seven, eight years. And so they still are running above inflation. Um, if we look at the 10 years before that bond interest rates averaged closer to five and inflation was around three. So bonds still tend to run higher than inflation. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and you know, one of the reasons we put bonds in a portfolio is because even though they do fluctuate in value, they do not fluctuate in value like stocks fluctuate in value. Mm. So people put them in their portfolios to kind of ease out some of the highs and lows of a bond or of a stock portfolio. So, you know, we, we do that. Now here's another thing about bonds. Bonds can be what we call callable, meaning they can be called before their maturity date. So if you buy a bond, you want to know ahead of time, not all bonds are, but they, you know, it, they can be is, issued as a callable bond, meaning at the issuer's discretion at a specific time and date, they can be callable. So maybe 10 years after issue, a bond can be callable. So the corporation, if they have extra cash at a certain period of time, mm-hmm. they can call that bond early. Okay, so it's a 30-year bond, 10 years into it, they say, we're going to call it. Yep, we're going to call it. We're going to pay off that bond or that loan. So they'll pay the 10000 and yep. back to the purchaser. and, and Whoever then, holds that bond at that time. And so Absolutely. then the, the, the owner or previous owner of that bond then just takes that 10000 and can do whatever with it, but maybe shops for another bond or something. Exactly, yeah. Got so it. they'll get the, you know, so even if they bought it at a discount or a premium or whatever happens to be, they're going to get $10,000 and no more interest. So interest is done. So can now let me ask this because that brings up another question. If the if the company or corporation's credit rating has gone down and the bond is now worth less, can they is it callable still by that corporation? If they have the cash, yeah, it it it, it if it gets to that certain date and time and they have the money, they can call it if it if it's a callable bond. And not all bonds are callable, some are. Gotcha. Um, yeah. But absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's a bond. So those are stocks. Those are bond. Let's talk about the mysterious mutual funds. Um, Mutual funds can be stock mutual funds or bond mutual funds. Mm -hmm. And I like to refer to them as a basket of stocks. 
or bonds. All right. So when you think about a stock, it's an individual stock or an individual bond. And a mutual fund is just a basket of those things together. So an um, individual single mutual fund will own, could own a thousand different stocks. Mm-hmm. So a single mutual fund can be a thousand different stocks or it could be a hundred different stocks. It depends on the type of mutual fund. So each mutual fund will have a specific focus. Um, so a stock mutual fund can be, for example, a large cap growth stock fund or a small cap growth, um, or it can be a short-term bond fund. So, or it can be an index style fund. So each type of mutual fund will have a specific focus in mind. Um, and again, it becomes the, uh, the idea behind a mutual fund is that you get a diversified portfolio inside that mm-hmm. mutual fund. And that's why people use mutual funds because maybe they can't afford to buy a hundred shares of company XYZ, but they can buy the mutual fund and get a diversified portfolio, which yeah. is why we have mutual funds. Yeah. And, uh, and obviously it's, it's funny that you call them baskets because if you are buying an individual stock, you're putting all your eggs in one basket. Exactly. Right? So that's right. a problem, you know, because if that one company has a huge run in with Congress or has, you know, a huge problem, they have a huge recall on their product. That's, that's not, that's not good for you if you only own that one company. So this, it allows you to spread out that risk. So in case one company in the, you know, one company out of the thousand goes bankrupt, you're going to be pretty okay. Right. You probably won't even notice. Exactly. If, especially if there's a thousand companies in that mutual fund and one goes out of business, you probably will not notice, which is one of the nice things about mutual funds. And, you know, in sustainable investing, um, you know, in the mutual fund, they add their social screening on top of this as well. So for example, you may want to focus on being fossil fuel free, Mm -hmm. um, or maybe uh, focus on gender diversity, um, you know, and, and we can layer that on top of that, or maybe it's an environmentally focused mutual fund. And, and, you know, as we've talked about before, there are dozens of other issues which we can layer on top of those, uh, in, in terms of the mutual funds, which is, you know, why we do what we do and um, add those pieces on top of that. Here's another very important piece on mutual funds that we want to make sure people understand. Um, we need to talk about expenses. Um, and in all investments, you know, that all investments have expenses, whether you're buying individual stocks, there's trading costs, Bonds have very complicated expenses, um, which we're not going to go into because it's it's a very complicated piece. But mutual funds, um, the expenses, some people think they're hidden, but they're really not. If you read that lovely prospectus that they send you, mm-hmm. that hundred page you know <laughs> piece uh, booklet that they send you, it is in there. But it's really important that you understand how the expenses work in a mutual fund. So they can be commission free or they can have a commission. Commissions in mutual funds tend to run about 5%-ish for the transaction. Um, But even in a commission-free mutual fund, there are expenses. And it's really important that everybody understands how that works. So the expenses within the mutual fund is how the managers in the mutual fund get paid, how all the transaction costs get paid for all the trading that happens inside the mutual funds because they're buying and selling the stocks, they're buying and selling the bonds and how they pay their advertising expenses because these mutual funds advertise their business, right? 
Um, and again, it's all disclosed in that lovely document that they send you when you invest initially and once a year that they send you that, you know, most people literally just throw in their recycling <laughs> bin and never read. Nobody does that. Come on. <laughs> right, right. I mean, you know, we read it because that's our job. You know, in, an, in a commission-based fund, there are A shares, there are B shares, there are C shares, and there are institutional shares. And they all have different level of expense ratios. Um, but it's really important that you kind of understand that. An A share is what we call an upfront commission where you buy when you first get in. A B share, I like to refer to it as a back-end load where you have to pay to get out. Not my favorite. Hmm. Um, and a C share is where you pay generally 1% a year in a commission-based fund to own that mutual fund every single year. And institutional class shares are for, you know, again, we talked about institutional um, options where you own usually $100,000 worth of that mutual fund or more at a mm. time. Um, but those expense ratios, again, are how the managers get paid. And in stock mutual funds, they average around 1, 1.1% 1 um, in bond funds, usually around half a percent. Some of the really, really, really big mutual fund companies, they're going to be a lot lower than that. Um, but those are, are generally your averages. So it's really important that you pay attention to the fact that all mutual funds and all investments have some sort of expenses. Yep. So those are your basics in terms of investing. And I think people should really understand how all of that works. Absolutely. Thanks for all the explanations. Is yeah. there anything else we're going to cover today? Well, um, I think that's the basics that we should really talk about and people should understand. And, and if you want to understand any of these things in more depth, or have other questions about how investing works, ask your advisor. There really are no dumb questions in investing. And if your advisor won't explain it to you, find a new advisor. Yes, Because absolutely. I think, yeah, I think you should really understand how your investments work. For me, education is very important. And I think people should understand one, expenses, the basics of investing and how things work because it's important to have some basic understanding. You don't really want to do it yourself, which is why you work with someone mm -hmm. and that's okay, but you should still have some basic understanding of investments. Yeah, absolutely. That's my philosophy. Yeah. I agree. Uh, yeah. Can you touch on one more thing for me? Sure. I think we've talked about it a little bit on other podcasts, but I know we have just about two minutes left. Sure. Um, can you explain to folks what a fiduciary is? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, cause uh, Johan and I are fiduciaries and, um, you know, being a fiduciary is something that really goes beyond, you know, it, just being an ethical advisor. Uh, you know, being a fiduciary is really the ethical duty to do what's in the best interest of your client, which, mm -hmm. e you know, it sounds like something everybody should do. Right. But, um, being an honest to goodness fiduciary is a legal obligation where we knowingly accept the responsibility to, to take on the, the duty of um, doing what's right and managing our client's assets um, to the benefit of the client first and not, not for, um, for our advisor's profit, not for the advisor's own profit first. Wouldn't so that be fantastic it, if that was across the board in yes. every business? I mean, I, it, I, I'm picturing yes. myself walking into a, a car dealership 
a used, let's just call it a used car dealership and right. giving them $10,000 and saying, here's the thing. What's the, here's, here's my information. Uh, you know, I've got a couple grandkids. Uh, I like to do this on the weekends. Uh, I fill out a little bit of information, give them 10 grand and they find the perfect car for me. Not, it would be lovely. Yeah, yes. Not the perfect car for them. The one with, you know, three wheels, no windshield. That's worth 10 grand. Here you go, sir. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It would be lovely. You know, it's interesting because, um, you know, a lot of folks, uh, you know, a lot of people are on the boards of nonprofits and Mm. what many of them don't understand is if they are a member of the investment committee of that nonprofit and they have an endowment, they have a fiduciary duty of that nonprofit Mm. and those finances. And they need to understand what that means. They already are a fiduciary. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so there's, there's something very important. There's a little lesson for them. Um, and, you know, here at Horizons, um, we are fiduciaries and we have been for a long time. We have the designation as an accredited investment fiduciary from the Center for Fiduciary Studies and FI360. Um, and so we've, you know, been doing that for probably almost 15 years now. Yep, absolutely. And, and so to, the two takeaways that I've gotten from this podcast is if your advisor is not willing to answer your questions and take the time to explain the difference between all these things that, that Kim covered today, like she said, find another advisor. And then the second piece is if your advisor isn't a fiduciary and you can ask them that if they're not a fiduciary, find another advisor. Yeah. I think those are two very important things. All right. So Kim, if there's somebody listening right now that's saying, you know what? I don't know if my advisor is a fiduciary. And he sounds more like that used car person that's going to give me a three-wheeled car. How do they reach out to you to talk to you about what you do? Two ways they can reach us. They can call us, 505-982-9661, or they can send us an email, info at horizonssfs.com. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Eric. It's been a pleasure. And thank you for listening to the Deep Impact Investing Podcast with Kimberly Griego-Kyle. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Kim comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at Horizon Sustainable Financial Services, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Deep Impact Investing Podcast, the sustainable, responsible impact investing podcast that shows you how to get your voice heard. It's time to start investing like you give a damn. To ask a question that we can answer on an upcoming podcast, email us at info at horizonssfs.com or join the conversation on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash horizons sustainable financial services or give us a call at 505-982-9661. Don't forget to click the subscribe button to be notified when new episodes become available. The companies we may speak about during our podcast are not recommendations for investment only. You and your financial advisor can determine what the right investments are for you and your situation. Horizon Sustainable Financial Services is a registered investment advisor registered with the state of New Mexico and other jurisdictions were registered or exempted. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and or guest and do not necessarily 
necessarily represent the views or opinions of Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.